Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. The global markets for cereals continue to increase with global supply struggling to keep up. This year has showed where there's any sort of disruption in the supply, the price of cereals tends to rocket. Great if you're a tillage farmer, but not so good if you're a farmer trying to feed these grains. Irish tillage farmers are at the mercy of global grain supply as we feel the highs and lows in the same way as farmers globally. This podcast has been following a number of Irishmen farming abroad with Andy Mann in the UK, Tim Berger in Poland, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jim McCarty, who's farming in Romania. Jim was a very prominent farmer in Kildare and always pushed the boundaries to make the farm system more sustainable. Jim then spread his wings some time ago and started farming in South America and is now farming in Romania. Jim would describe his farm operation as supplying the Black Sea ports, and this is one of the bellwether markets in the world and often dictates the sentiments for prices globally. So Jim, before I say any more, firstly, you're very welcome to the podcast, and I hope we can delve into some of these areas today. I might just start by asking you, are you still farming it in Ireland or are you putting most of your efforts to farming abroad? Well, I was still farming in Ireland. Um, in fact, on the 2nd of November, I was 40 years in Castle Dermot, Michael. And I still farm one of the farms I came to manage and I farm another farm. But actually, it's John Mulhair looks after the agronomy and the crop planning. And Neil Jackson does the work. But uh, as long as the Minister for Agriculture continues to write me, to me, I'll continue to farm. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So you're you're um, you're got a little bit further afield. Obviously, you were across in South America, Argentina, I think, for a while, um, but now you're across in Romania. So I, I don't think too many people would be overly familiar with Romania, no more than myself. Maybe you might paint a picture for us as regards whereabouts in the country you are, and the scale of farming operations that you're running at the moment. Well, in 2006, we did a fund for Argentina, and people got paid out from that on the first week of January 2012. So then in February 2012, Kieran Mann and Davies came to me and said, why don't you do all this again? So Kieran and myself and Julian Hughes uh, went off and put together a fundraising document, <coughs> excuse me, um, to raise the money for an investment. And we chose Romania because you could get scale and land ownership. And so we bought the first business, we fundraised in through 2013, bought the first company in April 2014. And since then, we've bought six companies um, and we're about to close our seventh one. But the six companies to date, um, we own 9,000 hectares of land. We rent another 6,000 hectares of what are called stripes, small pieces of land, 6,000 hectares. And then we share farm 2,700 hectares or two other farmers, uh, two foreign investors in our area. And we're in northeast Romania, in a place called Badashan, Badashan, Badashan County. Um, and uh, we'll close another deal in the next 10 days. So next spring, we will ha- control 20,000 hectares, and of which we will crop about 15,500. We'll rent out 2,700 or 800 in small pieces, and we're wide-range tillage crops. Right, geez, that's a, it's a very serious farming operation you're running across in Romania. Um, it, it is huge. And I suppose, look, again, to maybe give people a little bit of a, uh, a comparison to where we are here in Ireland, 
obviously water is a, a fairly critical part to your operation over there. How does that compare on an Irish kind of, uh, I suppose, our rainfall at the critical times? And uh, do you have the soils to hold that water or how does that function? Uh, we, Michael, the, we get 550 millimetres of rain where we, where we farm. That's the annual rainfall. But we have very heavy land. We have 40% clay, uh, only 15% sand. But we have 5% organic matter where we stopped ploughing seven years ago. And so, but rain is critical for us um, because if you get a dry year, you're down at 400 millimetres, which becomes fairly difficult. But because the land is heavy and good organic matter levels, we can cope much better than we would in most places. Um, one of the reasons we went to Badashan is that has historically it had very good May, June, July, and August rainfall, kind of 16 millimetres in, in, in May, and then 85 in July and August, uh, Ju June and July, and 60 in August. Now, the last four or five Julys and August have been very dry, except for 2021. Like everywhere else, it has been an exceptional tillage year in Romania, as well, in northeastern Romania, or the parts of Romania hadn't it so good. That's great. I'm delighted. I'm delighted you're getting the year as good as we got it over here. That's great to hear. Um, Jim, you mentioned to me previously around um, lime and pH in your soils. What way does that work, or do you have the same access to lime that we, we would be used to here in Ireland? No, we, we don't have the same access to lime, and it's one of the reasons why we actually we grow a lot of sugar beet, because we can get a lot of factory lime, and the factory lime we get is a brilliant product because they, they have to dry it down to 30% moisture under an EU directive. Um, and so we can spread it with the breeder out spreaders. So we've taken 30,000 tons of that up over the last four or five years to get our pHs. And so now all the farms are above six and, and we're continuing to apply a lot of that factory product. So when you started off, Jim, your, your soils were we, relatively we, low. A lot of pHs in the mid fives. All right. All right. An odd one coming back at 4.9, an odd sample, a very odd one, but mainly in the mid fives. And, you know, with the high um, um, clay content and, you know, you really need the calcium carbonate to open up the pores and get the soakage. And by bringing the, so the pH from 5.5 to 6.5, you cannot believe how the workability has improved. Sure. And I, I, I would imagine the availability of, of, of P's and K's in the background as well, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, this was farmed by the communists until 1990. They had their own... They could. Romania has several big nitrogen plants, but they didn't bring in the phosphorus and phosphorus levels were generally low. So we've been over, luckily we've been over applying phosphorus for a few years to get the base levels up. And so now we can have a bit of a holiday and expensive phosphorus times. And, and Jim, obviously then you have to contend with fairly extreme temperatures. You mentioned during, during the summer, it can be pretty, pretty oh, dry yeah. and presumably very hot, but obviously the winters are probably relatively cold over there as well. What sort of ranges are you talking about, Jim, from year to year? In, in the season, you'll, you'll have a few day, day, nights of minus 20. That is not the issue, the issue, the wind chill factor. That'll bring it down to minus 32 or 3 on a really windy time. And then we will get days of 35, 36. And if you get 10 days of 35, 36, it does a lot of damage. Luckily, we've been able to move seeding earlier and earlier to effect get away from the real effects of um the, Ju the late july early august temperatures and we have a good range of crops as well and we have crops that we can't grow in ireland which is a huge help 
Okay. Um, so you're, yeah, so you're have worked obviously quite extensively trying to get your soils into a fairly decent condition. What sort of establishment system, Jim, are you running at the moment? Are you, are you, uh, well, the first thing we or? do when we buy the companies is we sell the ploughs. Land right. and land should not be ploughed. Yep. Um, and so we sell the ploughs and we start then, we bought two sumo subsoilers and we start then putting out lime and subsoiling because there's a huge compaction there. And I have some fantastic photographs and videos of real compaction, compact layers. And we then start going shallower and shallower. And now we are no tilling our first crops and literally Michael everything we'll have for next spring because we're predominantly spring cropping with row crops um we will have min tilled and cover crops <clears throat> so that we will go to seed next spring we'll be seeding green More, nearly everything will be seeded green green cover crop Okay. And how does that, Jim, compare to other systems that are run with your neighbours or your in, in, in well, the well, Romania is, you know, is still very traditional. They're obsessed with ploughing. And, and but the younger ones now are really seeing it in the changes. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is bringing, you know, min tilling and cover crops are bringing huge differences. And you mentioned, Jim, you, you're, you have a good range of crops in your rotation. What sort yeah. of crops do you have in it and what sort of rotation are you trying to run with those crops? On our poorer land, we'll, we'll run sunflowers, wheat um, and oilseed rape and, then on the real, and, and some soybean. And on the good land, then we have sugar beet. Um, we grow around about 1,100 hectares of sugar beet. This year we produce approximately 65, 66,000 tonnes of beet, you know. Um, you will be familiar with beet growing, Michael, being from this Carlo area, um, and the old story about dockets. Because of the scale of the business, our delivery, this, we will have average 205 loads of beet a week. And we grow, we grow about 2,500 hectares of wheat. But wheat is really a break crop because you sacrifice so much yield for winter hardiness. And spring wheat is a disaster here. And then our single biggest crop is grain maize. We grow about four and a half to 5,000 hectares of grain maize, which we harvest for grain. Um, and then a lot of soybean. And we're doing a lot of research on soybean because we think soybean with the min till and no till has a huge future. And because this quest for European produced protein is so big. So non-GM soybean is like we have a 70 acre, 35 hectare trial field soybean this year and we'll have it for the next three years just to look at soybean growing and then we're growing sunflowers in the really poor areas and then we farm we bought in, in 2015 a company that was organically farmed and we've continued to farm that and we farm 1800 hectares in organic where we kind of grow 300 hectares of spelt wheat 300 hectares of linseed 300 hectares of sunflower about 150 hectares is in a full season cover crop for the season and we grow four to five hundred hectares of organic soybean there's a there's a there's a big mix there there's a lot of things to keep your eye on there jim between all the various different crops and getting them in it's a very um um i won't say complicated business but it's um because we we started out in 2014 buying up the companies we actually had to develop an infrastructure then because we went to the second poorest county in Romania, so we had to buy a lot of cheap land. Um, and so we've had to develop out. Liam, my son, is my CFO. He did finance in London, and, and 
He came out for three weeks when we started in April and hasn't gone home since and has grown into the business. So he runs the office end of the business and that we have, you know, five in-house accountants. We have in Romania, you have to submit, submit your accounts once a month to the revenue and a balance sheet. And then around all the land, you, we, we buy the land ourselves. We put it in the land book. So we have three in-house lawyers and we have three Lynn researchers who are finding all the title to the land. And then we have 10 people who are buying and compacting land because it was all given back in stripes. So we're putting land back together. So we have a huge infrastructure along with farming to, to, to actually farm. Um, and, and, and then like, we have 130 full-time people, 45 of those are tractor drivers. Then we have people at the grain silos, the compacting, we have maintenance teams. We do all our own building, all construction. Um, we, we have our own full, we were 100 kilometers from the nearest dealership when we started here. So we put in our own full-scale dealership workshop with four full-time mechanics um, because to keep the machines going and the hectares we're doing is enormous. And, and, and so we have a parts division, the whole thing. It's a very comprehensive uh, business, you know. Jeez, it sounds, sounds, Jim, like you're almost a, an entire town in yourself, in fairness, with, with all the bits and pieces you have there. It's, it's, a, it's, well, it's, 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 it's very diverse. It's very diverse. But, Michael, the, the big thing is the opportunity that exists there. I mean, you know the competition for rented land in Ireland. We get offered land literally every week. Um, and then we've brought back into production thousands of, hect- thousands of acres that were actually abandoned at the time of communism. Let me show you a photograph of, of big tracts of land, you know, 50 and 100 hectare fields that were abandoned and we brought them back into production. So would it be fair to say then, Jim, you're a bit of a shining light in terms of your farming business in that area, in terms of bringing land back into production and the types of yields that you are, are, are able to produce now in comparison to, if you, to your neighbours? Yeah, in general. Now, there's some really excellent Romanian farmers and they deserve great credit because in 1990, just after communism, nobody had anything because the state owned everything. And there's, in, in the county where I farm, there's some long-established Romanian farmers who are doing an excellent job. But, you know, they're, they're, they're three, four, five hundred hectare businesses, maybe an odd one, a thousand hectares, and they're very good farmers. But there was a huge amount of land that was just lying there. So that was one of the main reasons we went there, that we could get title, we get to own it, you know. So maybe just to, to, you mentioned organics there in the way by, um, how you, you, you obviously bought into the system that was the business that was organics. Um, is it complicated trying to run those two different types of businesses alongside each other or are they any, in any way complementary? No, no, no. It, it, the thing is, Michael, that because of the scale, you know, it, it is a separate unit. It's run separately completely. Um, and there's a team of people in there, it's its own manager. Uh, and its own agronomist and its own compliance officer because of the scale of it. Like it's four and a half thousand acres. That's a substantial organic farming business, you know? So you, you, it's not an issue. This is, these are the, this is the flexibility that scale gives you. Um, and so it's not, I, I have very mixed emotions on it. Uh, on thing. Um, one of the big issues for us is soil degradation. Um, we're doing a huge amount of work on soil health cover cropping and even down to interseeding we're trying interseeding trying to number of crops um and the amount of hoeing we have to do to do weed control you know to control this so 
weeds and soybean to control them in sunflower. Now, the sunflowers are much more competitive for a while. But, you know, the amount of hoeing, we could be through the fields, the hose, eight times. Then if you get a huge thunderstorm, you know, you have the top two inches is really cultivated and cultivated, and it flows off in a rush of water. So there's a lot of problems around it, and, and um, it's not the panacea that's painted, and it's certainly not as environmentally beneficial as environmentalists would have us believe because of the soil degradation issue. That strikes me. Two questions, then, I suppose. Does it, does it, in terms of its its contribution to your overall business, is it is it uh, you know standing up reasonably well? And and maybe the second one on top of it, Jim, are you going to stick with it in the long term? Yeah. Here, here's the thing: we, we've got to watch it because we've got, certainly got a problem with phosphorus because we don't have a live livestock enterprise. There's no market for organic livestock produce in Romania. And in fact, all our Crops are exported to Switzerland, Germany, and Austria because really the organic market hasn't developed in Romania. And it's one thing going organic, it's the other thing is having a market for it. And the other thing is that, you know, in poorer countries, food price inflation is now a huge issue without trying to throw a lob on top to have organic as well. Yeah, extremely difficult, all right. You know? So, uh, Jim, just uh, maybe just turning back then to, to 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 crops you have in the ground um, uh, at the moment. Uh, how are they looking? Did you get as good a start as we have here in Ireland? No, no. Uh, the rape is wonderful. We have about fourteen hundred hectares of rape in the ground, and that that's beautiful because we got the rain in August for seeding. Most of that was no-till seeded for the first time with the Valestad Tempo seeders and fifty-centimeter rows. Um, the wheat was harvested. We cut the stubble as high as possible. And then we just mulch mowed it. And then we got some rain in mid-August. We did a no-till seeded it with the AP alongside it. You know, 50 kilos of active substance, phosphorus alongside it. And that has worked very, very well. Then it dried up. And it basically hasn't rained since the end of August. Um, and so in, in our part of Romania, northeast Romania, in the south of Romania, they get very good rainfall. So in the wheat belt down there, there's very good crops. We have... 2,500 hectares of wheat in the ground and zero emerged. Zero. Ooh, shiny. That's And that's, that's not just our part of Romania. And that's part of the driver of wheat because I'm only 60 kilometers from western Ukraine border, south, southwestern Ukraine border. And basically all the ways across south of Ukraine and all across southern Russia, all as far as the Ural Mountains, is the same problem. There's bits and pieces here and there emerged, but there is an enormous amount of land of wheat seeded and not germinated. And will greatly take from yields because most of it is seeded with Romanian varieties or Ukrainian varieties or Russian varieties, which don't till in the spring. That's why historically they always seeded such huge seeding rates in case this happened. They'll till in the autumn, but they won't till in the spring. We're growing French varieties and Austrian varieties. And they will tailor in the spring, so we have some hope with the traditional growers. So this is one of the pressures on wheat. There is a huge amount of wheat in the big, because we're Black Sea exporters. We export through Constanta. So the Black Sea area, the huge wheat pressure, there, you can mark down the yields. We certainly have written down our wheat yield budget by a tonne and a half hectare. Just go back a little bit a second, because because again I, I I get confused in the size size of of of, of that, that part of the world because it's pretty enormous I think. 
you mentioned that it's going from you know your part of the world up into Ukraine, well up into Russia. What sort of size of area are we talking about? Are we talking about millions of hectares? Are we? From me to the Ural Mountains, probably fourteen hundred kilometers. That's a long way. Okay, there's a lot of ground between that between you and and, and, and Michael. The, the the that southern Ukraine, uh, southern Russia. When you go about, you know, the great cities like farming areas like Oriel and Tambov and Pensa, which are about 400 kilometers south of Moscow, directly. If you take from those cities south to the Black Sea and all the way to the Ural Mountains, the amount of land is just shocking. It is, I've been through it several times, and it is just, you know, the scale of it is just beyond belief. Yeah, which obviously has a big, um, a, a big uh, I suppose, impact, if you like, the, as you're saying yourself, on the, on the sentimental prices. Of, of what's going to come in, in 2022. Uh, and maybe we might just turn to that maybe a little bit. Obviously, the, the, the prices is one end of it. Fertilizers are another end of it altogether in terms of where they're after going. Um, your supply of fertilizer probably comes from a different direction, maybe to ours. You were saying that in Romania, there are a number of factories there. Do you, do you think, Jim, that that's going to be an issue for you in terms of supply and costs and maybe how that's going to have a bearing on what you're going to do for the crops that are in the ground and your decisions maybe for the springtime in terms of profitability of crops? Uh, Michael, I suppose the first thing is that we combine drill, we put in fertilizer with all our seeding. We bought a, two years ago a Valistad Spirit fixed seeder because we there's very good work out of Ontario, Ontario, which is the same kind of land as we have and the same kind of soil type in that, where on this high clay soils, with low phosphorus levels, seeding the wheat into a band of phosphorus of 0.7 of a ton to a ton per hectare yield response. So we've gone to everything so we can use less. Our approach will be that we will look very much at the balanced mix and reduce the nitrogen. We can, for instance, give you an idea of the possibilities we have. In March 2020, when COVID hit, we had most of our fertilizer bought as U, nitrogen bought as UAN from Bulgaria, but the Bulgarian border closed down in mid-March. And we were able to organize within our suppliers, were able, able to organize within a few days for us a train load of can from Russia, 1,800 tons of can from Russia, you know, delivered locally. So you, we have great flexibility. But even, and, and then, of course, we, we bring a lot of stuff from Belarus as well, which is not that far away. You know, so the issue is that the fertilizer manufacturers have been too smart. They still have to sell fertilizer. Now, it's a major ripoff. The price and the supply issues have been completely distorted. This is a, an attempt at, because of high commodity prices. They will have to come to the market to sell. I think some of them are going to leave it too late that the amount won't be manufactured. But I think a lot of farmers will greatly reduce. And I think that this will backfire on the manufacturers because people have long memories. As John F. Kennedy once put it, forgive your enemies, but remember their names. And I think this is going to backfire on them. You know, there's been a lot of retailers had contracts reneged on on the force majeure because of the gas price. They had the nitrogen bought. Some of them had some of it paid for. And then they said, no, we can't make it at this price. And so they reneged on the contracts. But if someone reneges on the contract with you, we'd be still to do business with you again, won't you? I think so, yeah. yeah. 
So, so in, in your part of the world then, Jim, can you see a lot of farmers out there reducing the nitrogen input and thereby oh, the overall output would probably be reduced as well? Oh, Michael, the, the overall output is going to be reduced right across Europe because, you know, people find it very hard to over apply in at this level or to apply enough in, you know? And, and so that the, there will be, and this will be a driver of price. And I think that there's a few, very few people realize this. I mean, I read in the American press quite a bit about farm press that, you know, the swing to soybean will be huge because of the much lesser demand for soybean, for fertilizer and soybean production. I mean, we can produce, if we get rainfall in August, Mike, we can produce the same gross margin from soybean as of 10 tons a hectare of grain maize. The difference is I don't need 160 kilos of N and I need a bit less P and K. So th this will change the cropping, it will change the, the, a lot of things. And what it will create a problem with is protein in wheat because we all like to eat good quality bread and you need high nitrogen levels for high protein levels. That isn't going to happen. So there's going to be a big reduction in the production of protein. Yeah, we're in for a fascinating year, Tim. I think the uh, a lot of dynamics have changed a lot. And um, really, look, looking at the world um, stocks that's out there, they're on a bit of a knife edge as well. So if it if, if it reduces again next year, it'll it'll get even worse. So, as you mentioned before, the um, the, the inflation in food prices uh, probably only going to go one way for for a little while at least. Anyways, well, well Mike, I think that the, unless there's perfect seasons everywhere. Prices are going to stay where they are for a while. Now, what solids high prices are high prices because production goes up. What has happened this time in comparison with other times when prices went up is that fertilizer prices went up, but production of fertilizer didn't cease like many companies have done. And this is a new, a new paradigm. This is a new venture for us that sure there's huge fertilizer prices, but there may not be enough fertilizer available at that price in this year because I think people have pushed it back and pushed it back, starting up the plants. And, and um, they might have pushed it too far and that they won't get to make the tons they had planned on making. It's a good time to be a tillage farmer on your own land. <laughs> it probably is. Look, with that, we've kind of run out of time. Um, we, we, we went through an awful lot there. And um, look, you're, certainly your business is um, seems like it's going from strength to strength and you're making huge strides there in, in, in your part of the world. Um, delighted to talk to you Jim and if you're willing we'll come back and we'll chat again maybe in two or three months and we'll catch up with your business again and, and um, I think your insights into the market is, is fascinating and I think a huge amount of people will listen with huge interest to that Jim thanks very much thank you so that's it for the Tillage Edge and my thanks to Jim for joining me in the podcast we'll return to Jim in a new year to get more insights from him and an update as to his farming operation in Romania and finally don't forget if you like this podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague and as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.